Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody gather around. Take a seat. Indian style, if you like. Hey, now. When your hand is up, your mouth is shut. Okay. At the tail end of this busy week, it is my pleasure to make this address to you, the nation's preschoolers. Some have suggested this is some kind of attempt at political indoctrination, to which I say, I'm rubber, you're glue, blah, 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 I think you know the rest. Preschoolers, toddlers, let me be clear. Life will not be easy. You might not always get the color crayon you want, and it's almost never going to taste the way you expect. Sometimes it's nap time, and you don't want to take a nap. Other kids will bite your legs and shoulders. It's virtually inevitable. To which I say, quit crying. If you're going to cry about it, you not only fail yourself, you fail your country. Mom and Dad, they won't always be there to tell you you're smart or cute or special or whatever. You lie! And if that makes you sad, well, that's because you're not trying hard enough and you're being a crybaby. So toughen up, because Congress can't seem to accomplish Jack, so... All these things we're dealing with are basically all your problem. Now, go play and have fun. And in conclusion, Ted Kennedy. Hey, everybody, it's In The Loop. I'm Jeff Horwich uh, with a little nod to Facebook fan Michael Lunbury, who actually posted on our Facebook page that he wants more Obama impressions on the show. Happy to oblige. Another week of big speeches here. Uh, one of them vastly overhyped, uh, and the other actually might turn out to be the most important one of his presidency. Uh, between the two, it's not clear which audience was more juvenile. You lie! Thank you, Sandin. Um, we're going to wade into health care reform and that whole debate a little later in the show. Can't really avoid it this week. Uh, and we'll consider some other very upbeat questions, like uh, all the dismal things one can learn over summer vacation, and uh, whether robots are going to kill us in the end. You lie! Sand and Todd and everybody. Uh, but we want to start things off on an inspiring note here. So we're going to stick for the moment with uh, the president's speech to students. And we know he was probably very much on his guard about sounding too political. Uh, but to me, the result was that he came off sounding awfully uh, kind of dad-like, you know, lectury, right? You know, eat your vegetables, sit down, shut up. Uh, so in order to try and, I don't know, re-inject some of the the inspiration that uh, really belonged with those words. We've asked a recently crowned National Poetry Slam champion, this is true, Kari Jackson, to come on into the studio here and uh, help us out. Kari, thank you very much for coming on into In the Loop. No problem. You're going to start off here by just giving us an alternate, maybe maybe a little more inspiring uh, take on part of the, uh, the back-to-school speech. Let's hear it. <clears throat> Today... I'm calling on each of you to set your own goals for your education and to do everything you can to meet them. Your goal can be something as simple as doing all your homework, not cheating, paying attention in class, or spending time each day reading a book. Maybe you decide to get involved in an extracurricular activity or volunteer in your community. Maybe... You decide to stand up for kids who are being teased or bullied because of who they are or how they look because you believe, like I do, that all kids deserve a safe environment to study and learn. Maybe you'll decide 
to take better care of yourself so you can be more ready to learn. And along those lines, I hope you'll all wash your hands a lot. Wash them. And stay home from school when you don't feel well so everybody else don't get the swine flu. I mean H1N1, you know. Whatever you resolve to do, I want you to commit to it. I want you to really work at it. And even when you're struggling, even when you're discouraged and you feel like other people have given up on you, don't ever give up on yourself. Because when you give up on yourself, you give up on your country. You give up on me. I had to keep from laughing, but I didn't want to spoil the, uh, the moment. That was awesome. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> um, now, what do you think about, about Obama's speech-making style? As a poetry slammer. I like that he's, like, you know, he's intelligent, but he tries to, like, make sure everybody can understand what he's talking about. His oratorical style is a little less boring than most politicians I hear. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's in the right direction. But I suppose it, there's always room for a little more punch, as we just well, found out. you know, when we're ready for it. <laughs> uh, so the details of the... Uh, the poetry slam that you just won in early August, right? You and three teammates, I think, from here in St. Paul. Uh -huh. You guys were the, the number one team in the country. What was the experience like for you? It was very cool, somewhat surprising. Like, number one, that we won, but number two, how relatively easy it was. We were very surprised, except for the first bout we had, where it was very, very close competition. Then the next bout, and then semis and finals were relatively comfortable victories we were very surprised and you know as you're up there on stage or watching your teammates like we're head and shoulders above yeah because we get from DC we'll, we'll perform our poem and then the judges will immediately put up their score and so you know what everyone's points are throughout so you know you're ahead do you have any advice to uh, politicians who maybe are stepping in front of a crowd to do somewhat the same thing to inspire to to capture you know, the, the energy and, and attention of those people? Mm, my personal request would be to be honest and to have balls. Well, what are the women politicians supposed to, uh, supposed to do with that one? Have you seen Hillary? She's <laughs> got a pair. <laughs> you know, just be honest and be brave. Well, we didn't bring you here just to, uh, to read some of the Obama speech. Uh, we asked if you could think of a, a, another poem in your, in your bank there that uh, might light on something topical or, or newsy for us. What have you got? Well, I have a short piece written to our friend Bernie, Bernie Madoff. Very much in the news this week. That's a good one. All right, let's hear it. This is uh, Kari Jackson. Dear Mr. Madoff, Despite the smoke and mirrors, we know very well you are a distraction, a symbol, a symptom of a cancer we'd like to think is in remission. We gave you 150 years for your deceptions, yet ignored the system that not only bred you but fed from you, like burying you in jail would magically resurrect our jobs. But don't we love when justice comes easy, like a woman could mascara her black eye and forget who she married, like removing the N-word from the dictionary could protect us from tasers, like prosecuting an 80-year-old Nazi could cleanse us of the Holocaust. Thank you, Bernie, for giving us another excuse for our conscience to rest easy. Lord knows what questions we'd have to face if you'd never been caught. 
Poetry slamming the news here. Uh, anything you want to plug before we let you go? Oh, yeah, totally. Thanks for asking. You bet. Uh, I wanted to let you all know that if you want to hear some of the poetry that has won a national championship, come to the Artist Quarter on Monday, September 14th at 8 o'clock. It is our monthly poetry slam. Twin Cities listeners, Artist Quarter, downtown St. Paul. Kari Jackson, thanks very much for coming into the show. Word. So we put out a question this week to our listeners through our email list and on Facebook asking that old back-to-school staple, uh, or a little twist on it, I guess, what did you learn on your summer vacation? And it didn't have to be a vacation. Just what did you learn over uh, these past summer months? And we got quite a few responses from all over the nation, and they fell into three main categories, I would say. The first is vacation-related advice, uh, like James from uh, Memphis, who says, if you want an unstressful vacation, drive. And if you want an unstressful drive, go by yourself. So, James from uh, Memphis had a very solitary but wonderful uh, summer vacation, I guess. And then there's Charles in Decatur, Georgia, who uh, says he learned that if you leave your camera at a campsite, it may not be there when you ask for it a month later. Thank you, Charles. So the second category of responses I uh, describe as people who uh, over the summer somehow tested their own potential or, or conquered their fears in some way. Shelley in Minneapolis, who says she learned a 50-year-old woman can still carry a 35-pound backpack up a mountain, just takes a little longer to recover. And Kellyan from Mankato, Minnesota, discovered, uh, apparently this was a hang-up of hers, uh, that it is okay to drive someone else's car. She drove someone else's car for the first time. So, Kelly, and nice work. So, those are our first two categories. The third category, though, is where we're going to dwell a little longer on today's show. These I would describe as cryptic responses that indicate the lessons learned over summer vacation were not necessarily happy ones. And one of those I'd put in that category came from Sarah Gossman. And I wanted to uh, just probe a little deeper into Sarah Gossman's summer. So, Sarah, thanks for letting me call you up. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm just going to take you through your your list here, and if you feel comfortable, maybe fill in the details, because it, it made me made me curious about your life over the past few yeah, months. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me ask first. Was it much of a vacation for you? What have you been doing this summer? It was between my sophomore and junior year of college, and I was doing an internship at an organic vegetable farm. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> first thing you said was, you learned that quality of life matters more than money, and you learned that sometimes people forget that. Well, um, in this case, it was... Um, my boss, the owner of the farm, who originally um, started the farm because he was so interested in, like, sustainable agriculture and, like, organics and all of the ideals behind that uh-huh. and just, like, that lifestyle. I don't know. He would tell us that he still, like, believed in these things, but kind of thought that now he needed to, like, make money on the farm. So these things are kind of, like, going out the window and he was trying to do both. He was just really stressed and, like, making all of the interns really stressed. And, like, he was unhappy. And, like, you could tell there was, like, family tension and, like, all the interns were really unhappy. So you were seriously disillusioned, it sounds like, by your organic farm internship over the summer. Definitely. <laughs> oh, and what, yeah. what what were you expecting? Like, birds chirping and uh, well, everybody you know, ma- making enough money, but also, you know, knowing that they were living with the land and... Exactly. Like, I mean, I obviously know that, like, farming, you don't make a ton of money. I understand that. But I was hoping for 
the experience where I would have to work hard, but it would be worth it. Mm. I don't know if it was totally worth it in the end. I'm so sorry to hear that. Now, are these conflicts largely over um, the ideals of the place? Like maybe interns coming in expecting uh, one thing and finding that, um, no, it's it's a business. I mean, there was some of that, but also it was just like the way we were treated because I wanted to like learn how to like farm vegetables, but I also wanted to learn like the methods behind it. Like how do you know what to plant and when and where and how do you deal with customers and like all of that. Mm-hmm. And we pretty much just got like go in the field and pull these weeds, go plant this. <laughs> and that was it. Uh-huh. <laughs> we worked like 10, 11 hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of stress. So. Are you more... Um... Growing up, are you wiser, would you say, after all this? Yeah, I think so. I guess I know now that I can stand up for what I believe in more because in the past, it's been hard for me to like stand up to people that are like superior to me, I guess. Tell them what I'm thinking and why and not back down when they say something contrasting to what I believe in and that I know sure. is true. Uh, people who are who are older, I guess, uh, yeah. in particular, yeah. adults. Yeah. Let's just say because you're, you're, you know, what yeah. sophomore, junior in college. So, yeah, okay, and um, a little more confidence now coming out of it. Definitely, definitely, and just able to end up for myself more, I guess. Well, I wish you a, a good school year and maybe <laughs> maybe a better internship next year. Definitely, thank uh, you. And I will uh, leave you to the rest of your day. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. That is Sarah Gossman, and uh, from her email address, looks like she's a student at the College of St. Benedict up in St. Joseph, Minnesota. We're going to have a couple more stories as the show goes on, uh, conversations, I should say, with people whose responses to this question, what I learned over my summer vacation, uh, intrigued me. And if you uh, want to get questions like this and we send them out in the future, the best way is to get in our network, as we say, on our email list. Go to intheloopshow.net and look for that link on the right-hand side that says, Join Our Network. And... uh, There you go. Now, I said earlier that we'd be moving on to health insurance reform. Oh, joy of joys uh, at some point in the show. And now is that time. But we're going to do it in our own special way, which in this case does not mean a song. Uh, It means we have something very nice uh, in the can, as a matter of fact, that I'm going to be able to play for you. Uh, As you might recall, Sandin and I were out at the Minnesota State Fair last week, and we were doing this stage show about uh, our home website here, Minnesota Public Radio, nprnewsq.org. And as part of that show, we invited out some of our friends to uh, share their talents on stage in a newsy way. And one of those folks was Nancy Donoval, who's a great storyteller, extraordinary storyteller, I would say, Uh, who's been a part of most of the story slams that we've done here in the Twin Cities over the last couple of years, she decided to uh, take a run at this question of health insurance, certainly on everybody's minds and very much on Nancy's. And we recorded her story. I'm glad to be able to share it with you now. Next March, I'll be 50 years old. 50 is one of those milestone birthdays when you finally have an excuse for blanking on someone's name. When friends in their 30s start saying, you don't really look that old, which only makes you feel older. 50 feels a lot like being in junior high. It's the unpuberty. Your hormones are all over the map. Your body is changing in ways that you don't understand. You want the benefits of your age without the responsibility. Only in junior high, you don't get an application for AARP sent to you whether you asked for it or not. 50 is a milestone of another kind for me. When I turn 50, I'll finally be older than my dad. Right now, my dad and I are the same age. 
49. The age he was when he died, just a couple of weeks shy of turning 50. I remember as a teenager thinking that was so unfair that he didn't make it a little longer, that he didn't get to celebrate one last birthday before having his death day. When I turn 50, I will not only have outlived my father, there's a very good chance that I will outlive my health insurance. Every July, my premium goes up by 10, 12%. Tough, but I've been squeaking by. In March, I hit another age bracket, 50, and my premium will jump by more than 30%. And then a few months later in July, go up by the regular annual increase. So just in a few months, it's going to go up by almost 45%. I've never been without health insurance, which as a self-employed freelance artist has not been easy. I don't get it through an employer or part of any group that can negotiate lower rates. There have been times when scraping together the money for the premium has really put the starving in starving artist. Ten years ago when I was 40, I was paying more than $1,400 every two months. That same year I got sick, sick enough that I wasn't able to work for almost a year. I lost my apartment, but I begged, borrowed, and sold stuff to pay for my health insurance. I managed to hold on to it, but doing so kept me broke. I remember sitting for days at the kitchen table with a calculator and charts of deductibles and coverage rates trying to figure out how to apply for a new policy to get my premiums down and avoid having to file for bankruptcy. One option was the regular plan, where the rates were decent and the lifetime coverage good, but there'd be a year without coverage for any pre-existing conditions. I have a little collection of those, some of them mundane, a couple exotic. I remember my brother coming up to me when we were in my mom's uh, room in the nursing home in the Alzheimer's unit and starting to tell me about this new thing he'd been diagnosed with that was hereditary, something called Viking's disease, and I wanted to clap my hands over my ears and start going la, 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 because I didn't want to know about any other family genetic health problem. I didn't want to have to write it on a form. Or I could do the portability plan, where they would have to take me, but the rates are higher and the lifetime coverage much, much less. Neither are smart. I, I know how catastrophic illness does not pick the timing when it's covered and how expensive it really, really is. I know that on a very visceral level through watching what my father went through. I'm not the only one in my family measuring my life against our dad's. My sister, the oldest, was keeping her eye on age 47, the age he was first diagnosed with melanoma. That was the first hurdle for her to make it past. And she just had that feeling of, I made it, I made it, and then on her 48th birthday, she found the lump in her breast. She had a job with health insurance, and so far she's made it to 58. But a few years ago, they did a big round of layoffs, and she lost her job. It took her months to get a new one, and thank God she got it before the 18 months of COBRA insurance ran out. Otherwise, she would have risked not being insurable, and if she did get a policy, any cancer treatment in that first year would just not have been covered. I admit to getting frustrated when I hear all the rhetoric about rationing health care. We don't want to ration health care. It's already rationed. Only the ones that are rationed out aren't that visible. Don't seem that valued as the ones rationed in. I wish sometimes that we'd be more upfront about it. That, that we just say, you know, a whole bunch of you are just too sick and too poor to live. Let's have a big party and we're going to put you on a nice flow and good luck. The old-fashioned way. Only with the way the economy is falling and the climate is rising, there may be too many of us and not enough ice. Nancy Donoval. Thanks, Nancy.
the Smarts there on stage with us on Friday out at the Minnesota State Fair, uh, chiming in Story Slam style with a little spontaneous musical bump at the end of uh, Nancy's story there. It wasn't just Nancy Donovan we recorded. We recorded a whole bunch of stuff from that day, and we might bring you various bits of it on the show over the next few weeks. And I can tell you for sure that by the end of this episode here today, we will have a uh, fresh piece of music that was uh, recorded out at the fair on Friday. So look forward to that. But while we are doing our uh, health insurance reform thing here, let's give you a listener poem along those lines. This rolled in over this past weekend on our handy-dandy in-the-loop voicemail account. Hello, this is Mary McLeod from St. Paul. I turned 65 recently and threw myself a Medicare party and wrote this poem to go with the invitation. Ode to a Golden Age. Oh, what a thrill to reach an age when one has wisdom, words of sage advice to others. Just manage to live this long, delightful stage. For if you do, you'll cease to care if hips give out and knee bones wear or hearing goes, your thin of hair. Relax, you'll be on Medicare. Oh, joy, the Medigap of it, to revel in the lap of it. This wondrous thing will care for me from now until eternity. Part A, Part B, whatever they be, I'll sign up, and then we'll see the magic of their coverage, all organs and each appendage. But wait, there's more. Part D, you say? What reason is there to delay extending this to everyone, not just the old, also the young, the poor, the unemployed, the rest? Why can't they all have the best? security from future ills, the terror of those health care bills. Oh, lucky me, but is it fair? Why should I be on Medicare? I did nothing right or wrong. All I did was live this long. Mary McLeod, who lives uh, where we do here in St. Paul, Minnesota, using our in-the-loop voicemail system uh, the way it's meant to be used. Maybe you've got a rebuttal poem, uh, or maybe you've got anything else you want to share with us. Feel free to use that uh, voicemail. Sarah Palin, if you're out there. Uh, how about a death panel poem? Let's quit writing in the Wall Street Journal and write a poem for In the Loop. Uh, give us a call, 651-228-4886. And if you're on the go, you need a quick way to remember. Uh, how about 651-CAT-GUT-6? That's easy. Now, let's leave health insurance reform uh, behind us, at least for, uh, for this week, and turn back to our question that we sent out to listeners this week. What did you learn on your summer vacation? Another, well, let's say, ominous uh, response that caught my eye came from Anna Ayers, who lives in Montevideo, Minnesota, way out on the western edge of the state, uh, the border with South Dakota. Uh, Anna, thank you very much for, for letting me give you a call and talk about it. You're welcome. So you didn't write much to us, but what you wrote made me certainly curious. Um, you wrote, I learned that people can lie to you while the whole time they have a straight face. and Nothing is as it seems. What uh, happened to you this summer that leaves you with uh, with that bit of wisdom? Well, somebody I thought was a friend um, kind of turned out to be anything but. I was uh, a little shocked and uh, hurt to find out that they'd been lying to me the whole time. And that not only were they not my friend, they really didn't like me very much. I don't. It really just kind of uh, threw me pretty badly. Is this somebody that you 
have have known and thought you were friends with for years? Yes, we went through a lot together, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what changed. It just it just did. What, uh, if you don't mind telling me, what was the circumstance of uh, the shift, the the revelation, the moment here? I was relating something to uh, a group of my friends who were standing around talking about things, and uh, I had a little difficulty, some problems. Uh, it was a little embarrassing. And this person just started laughing, and I said, it's not funny. Hmm. And she just looked at me, and I just got this feeling that came over me, and it was like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in this person's expression, and that's when I knew. I would have trusted this person with my life before that that moment. And instead there was just... uh, uh, Animosity. Yeah. I mean, she gave me this look that made me feel like she wouldn't have cared if she ever saw me again. And did you confront her with it? Did you talk it out? What happened? No, no. I didn't see any reason to create any more difficulty. So you were done with her from, from that moment? Yeah, I just thought it was best to bless her and let her go. Now, it sounds, just when I called you up on the phone, like like you're, um, I don't know, a, li- a little sad uh, in general. And maybe that's just because I, I brought this up or you'd been thinking about it. But d- has it really colored your whole, your attitude, your your outlook in the in the week's or days since that happened? It really has, because now I start looking at people, and I've, and I've been accused a couple of times since this happened of overthinking things. I start parsing out what people say. I'm thinking, you know, what, what did they really mean by that? You know, what's really behind what they said? You know, looking at their expressions and seeing, you know, if I'm missing something. Mm. Maybe more sensitive, uh, perhaps, or, or some people... Other people might say paranoid, uh, who knows, then, then you have been yeah. after yeah. going through this. Yeah, I try to laugh it off and say, well, because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, you know, kind of feels hollow. Well, I'm I'm sorry to have uh, brought it up again for you, but thank you for, for sharing it no, with no. us. And, it was, uh, I got it off my chest. It was kind of, it kind of helped. Good. And my goodness, I wish you... More happiness this fall. Well, I think so. I think it'll be a. I think it's a better time coming. Hope you have a good afternoon. Go out and Thank you. go out and, and smile and enjoy yourself. Uh, Thank you. But, but it's, Me too. It's been nice to connect with you. Thank you. Bye bye. That is Anna Ayers. Sounds like she could use a friend out there in Montevideo, Minnesota, talking about what she learned, for better or for worse, over her summer vacation. And we're going to have one more, I think, of these um, listener responses to our summer vacation question before the end of the show, but. At the moment, I'm sure you'll agree it'd be nice to go someplace a little different. Maybe a a thorough palate cleanser. And I think I have just the right medicine. If you're ready, let's do a Scribbit cast with your buddy and mine, Sandin Totten. Scribbit! The Scribbit, of course, a little widget on our website, intheloopshow.net, where listeners submit any question in the world that they want my producer, Sandin Totten, to check into. And Sandin, this question we're going to deal with today, it popped up on the Scribbit right. some time ago, and you have had to seriously restrain yourself, I think, from running at this one because it is <laughs> so near and dear to you. What was the question as phrased by one of our listeners on our website? So it's a simple question, straightforward. Robots, colon, our future or our end? Profound and yet 
deeply shallow at the same time. Yeah. Sounds perfect. All depends on how you go with it, just like us. And you have little robot toys all over your desk. Let's just I've, set the stage here. You are Mr. Robot Fetish. I've got tons of robots on my desk. I, you know, check news feeds regularly for updates on stories about cool robotics going on. You know, I like the idea of robot as, uh, you know, this cool thing that's sci-fi and neat. But there's also a lot of cool science and a lot of cool sort of like implications for society that I love about robots, too. Well, you needed to set your biases aside to take on this question. Right. Uh, because it, in fact, is is somewhat important. Uh, the threat of robots, uh, well, it may not be in the news <laughs> Uh, this week immediately, um, but certainly think about robotic drones flying over our heads, dropping uh, right. bombs on us, for Sometimes making mistakes example. in uh, other countries. Uh, yeah, like what? Recently, there, robot deaths have been in the news. There right? was a guy in Sweden working at a factory with a robot, and uh, they thought the robot was shut down. The guy went in to go check on it, and next thing he knows, he's almost being crushed to death by this robot. And uh, it, it propelled a lot of people to start wondering, who's to blame when robots kind of go haywire? Is it the programmer's fault? Should we have laws for robots, you know, teaching them not to kill anybody? Or is it the person's fault for getting too close to a dangerous machine? So this question, robots, our future, are, and of course, this is one that's asked uh, all the time in the science fiction world, in movies right. and books and stuff. Well, yeah, you usually get like two responses. You get like, well, basically this. You got a light, Jetson? Uh-uh. Allow me, sir. Ah, thank you, my dear. You're welcome, sir. Or, of course, this. Sarah Connor? Yes. Okay, we got Rosie and uh, the Terminator. Right. Um, those are your two ends of the spectrum. Or maybe something in the middle, like uh, Stepford Wives or something like that. <laughs> what, what What did you find? Robots, our future or our end? Okay. Sand and Totten. Well, I started out by calling a guy who thinks about this way more than even I do. Uh, his name is Josh Hall, and he wrote a book called Beyond AI, which is basically like the first, uh, I don't know, like ethics handbook for robots. Like he actually said, AI, artificial intelligence. Right. right? Okay. He actually said that, uh, you know, he hopes that one day in the future robots will read his book and from it gauge how they should act in society. Right. So he, he's really been thinking about, you know, the good and the bad of the robots. And he said, if we really set out to, we could develop robots that could be our end. If you built a robot with the specific intention of killing off humanity, you could, in fact, probably make one into a doomsday weapon that way because it would, in fact, be so powerful. But that would be an incredibly stupid thing to do, and it's not going to happen by accident. The ones you may have to worry about are the military robots. In fact, everybody's going to think their own military robots are wonderful because they're protecting them, and they're going to be worrying about the military robots on the other side. It's really just exactly the same problem as disarmament of any other major doomsday-style device. So is he arguing at this point for some kind of uh, multilateral disarmament, like nuclear disarmament, except with robots? Well, uh, not yet, but eventually, yeah. I think that's going to be a big part of uh, foreign policy in the future, is uh, limiting people's robot expansion programs, maybe. <laughs> but he says, you know, for the most part, we're, we're really going to be dealing with robots like uh, the Roomba. You know, like robots that clean for us, that cook for us, like very specifically designed service robots. I do think my Roomba is trying to kill me. <laughs> well... The thing is, it's so well-designed as a vacuum cleaner, it's going to have a lot of trouble. But if they could talk to each other, and the Roomba could go after my feet, and the haircut bot went after my face, then we'd have a problem. Maybe then. 
but you know you design them so they can't really talk to each other. Okay, I've you, taken you off track. Yeah, continue. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, there's there's actually a greater danger than your uh, Roomba and your haircut bot sort of ganging up on you to take you out. What could be worse? The worst that thing is awful. They might actually be so good at their jobs that they turn us, you know, into completely useless blobs of flesh, like in that movie Wall-E. You know, Wall-E is 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 very cute, but to some extent, that's a real problem. If what we do is limit ourselves to having a life that's just too easy and all get dumb, fat, and happy, it won't really matter what we do because, you know, we're just essentially farm animals. All right, so we've got two uh, very sincere examples from this guy, Josh Hall, who is worried about robots either, like, physically, directly killing us or uh, rendering us basically slabs of meat, which is yeah. about the same. Oh, okay, what about the more positive side of this? Robots as as our future in like a bright, sunshiny kind of a way. Right. Well, almost everyone agrees that in some form or another, we're going to be dealing with robots in our day-to-day lives. But if you want to talk to somebody who thinks that robots aren't just our future, but like maybe our salvation as a race, then you're going to want to talk to the Church of the Cyber Dawn. I have not talked to the Church of the Cyber Dawn, right. amazingly well, enough, but lucky you for have. You, I totally did. <laughs> And uh, well, I spoke to this guy, Calvin Rex, who's one of the founders of the Church of the Cyber Dawn. And, uh, you know, he says, we are about to sort of embark on this golden age where humans and robots will come together to form a more perfect union. I think it's what's going on right now. It's the beginning of a new age. It started with the first hammer. It started with the first desire to build shelters. But it's really going at a much greater pace right now as people um, decide, yes, I will allow myself to have an artificial heart. I will allow parts of my body to be replaced by machines as our lives become merged with technology. Well, that sounds straightforward enough to me. We're all kind of gradually becoming more cyborg-like. But take us into what I imagine is the extremely creepy direction we're heading, (laughs) given that we're dealing with a guy who founded something called the Church of the Cyber Dawn. Right. Well, creepy or not, I don't know. It depends on how you read it. What's the deal? All these things come together. You know, we are now walking, talking iPhones linked to the web with our own little apps and everything. And eventually all this sort of uh, cyber tech stuff forms a kind of super intelligence of some sort. Maybe it's like our brains all linked together at some sort of conscious Internet that they call the great protector. The church calls that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, basically the church in quotes. Is it, is it really a church? Or is it well, just this guy? No, it's a bunch of people online. There's been maybe a couple hundred of them. They uh, meet in forums and they talk about this and uh, they don't pray. They don't, you know, light incense or anything like that. But they're building this um, uh, system of worship, discussion, whatever, yeah. church around this notion of the great protector. The great protector. Okay. It'll, it'll emerge. It'll be like everything from like controlling the traffic lights so that we all get the most efficient routes, you know, to, you know, what countries should produce what goods and how we should ship them and where people should work and all this stuff. Basically, this this super intelligent uh, protector will just create this awesome society that we all, you know, have the most efficient lives in. It sounds uh, creepy and potentially scary. <laughs> like this idea could. Um, yeah. I guess we've seen that in science fiction films. Uh, this positive, rosy, with an IE uh, vision of our robotic future 
can overwhelm us maybe, right? Right, like the Matrix, you know, it backfires and they take over. Or uh, the classic example, the Terminator. You know, they build this Skynet system, a system of robots that is supposed to help humanity and it wakes up and instead ends up, you know, wiping us all out. Mm-hmm. So the whole reason the church is here is to prevent that scenario. They're, you know, sending letters to Congress. They're bugging tech companies. They're basically trying to get people to think about this situation so we can prevent a Skynet-like thing from wiping us out. Skynet is kind of inevitable and it's already taking place. These things are being built, being designed right now. And if we are not aware of each little step of the way, if we don't nitpick and complain about certain concerns we have, the outcome will be negative. So, Calvin, this kind of makes you a little bit like uh, John Connor in a way. Uh, I guess, except uh, I think he was a little bit more against thinking machines uh, completely aware and in a, right. in a very hostile way and stuff. But in that scenario, uh, they were pushed, you know, do or die scenarios. So I don't think we're quite there yet, so we want to prevent that. Okay, Sin. So that's the founder of the Church of the Cyber Dawn. Have I got it right? Yep. In case Calvin anybody Rex. listening wants to, uh, you can find them online. Sign up and you can join. Yeah. <laughs> but both these guys that you talk to, they have slightly different uh, approaches to it, but they both can see both scenarios: uh, our future and our end. Yeah. From robots. And so, what do you think after? sorting through this stuff, Well, robot aficionado that you are. I think uh, robots will be our future to some extent, and it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, a lot of what this uh, boils down to for me is, you know, they could also end up wiping us out, but it, it has less to do with the robots and more to do with how we decide to use them. So we should be talking about this stuff. We should be thinking about it. And, you know, even if the question, our future end, seems kind of shallow and silly, it's something we're going to have to ask a lot, especially as, uh, you know, your Roomba gets smarter and smarter. Yeah, Sandin, thank you very much for another edition of the Scribicast. When it comes to robots, anytime, Jeff. Scribbit! If you have a question for Sandin Totten and the Scribbit, you can find that at intheloopshow.net. Where you can also find links to our Twitter feed, our Facebook page, and to join our network, our email list, which this week was the source of the bulk of responses to the question we pitched out there. What did you learn on your summer vacation. And uh, I want to hit one more sort of intriguing written response that came back to us, follow up and, and see what more is there. This one came from Buckeye, Arizona, and uh, her name is Allison Gomez. Allison, thanks very much for letting me call you up and ask you about what you had to say here. Thanks for calling. So your uh, response to us about what you learned uh, over your summer vacation or summer months has kind of two parts to it. It starts with uh, the banks are not working with consumers to prevent foreclosure. And then you talk about how to live without a credit card and a few other things. Are you on the verge of losing your house right now? Um, my health insurance is slowly going up. It's going to be $500 a month mm-hmm. for my family. There's going to be a point coming where I'm not going to be able to afford it. And they will not help me before the fact. According to everything that I've read, I qualify and Bank of America will not help me. What is it that you would like the bank to do for you right now to maybe stave off a crisis coming, you know, a couple months down the road? I would like them to work with me temporarily as far as lowering my interest until I can find another job that maybe provides uh, health insurance with not a $500 a month removal from the paycheck. Mm -hmm. Like I heard on NPR this morning, Arizona's number four in the country for houses that lost their value and therefore are the hardest hit in regards to foreclosure. So I cannot 
get a loan modification because I'm too far underwater, which is not my fault. Wow. Sounds like you're learning kind of some economic realities that, unfortunately, a lot of Americans have been coping with over the summer. Let me ask you about uh, your other part of your response to us, which I think gets to what you do for a living. Uh, And I'm just going to read what you wrote, and you can clarify what's given you this insight. Uh, The government and other linked agencies make a huge amount of money off of functioning occasional drug users and people with DUIs. Definitely. Particularly in this economy, a lot of people get a DUI, and then they have to pay the $1,800 in fine. They have to go to jail for 24 hours. They have to buy a breathalyzer or rent a breathalyzer mm-hmm. at 75 to $100 a month. And then they have to go to counseling classes, which they have to pay for out of pocket. And you're a counselor, right? A substance abuse yes. counselor? Which is where yes, you come I in? am. So you've developed um, perhaps well-placed sympathy for these folks, even though they made a mistake for what they're going through and uh, the amount of money that it costs them? Yes, because the breathalyzers, for example, they're rented. They're just making money on people who made a mistake. I'm not opposed to the breathalyzers. I think they're a great idea, but I think the cost is unrealistic, particularly when you're looking at people making minimum wage or people with a bunch of children. And I'm a libertarian, so I'm in favor of marijuana being legalized. Mm. A lot of people can function, go through their daily life, and, and the resources and the time we're spending on this could be better spent on people who really need help, people who have meth addictions, heroin is growing, and prescription drug addiction, which I'm seeing in alarming rates, Mm -hmm. yet that's not looked at at all. It's demonization of marijuana and too much in fines. So your libertarian views on this and your perspective on uh, marijuana legalization, how does that sit with your position as a substance abuse counselor? I would say 90% of the time, people who get caught with marijuana, they go, well, it should be legal, so I should be able to smoke it, so I'm going to smoke it. And I tell them, challenge yourself, prove it to yourself that it's not a dependency, and give it up for now. And if they're not able to give it up, then I think it's like alcohol. It's like it indicates a higher level of problem. It indicates a need for stronger treatment. But is paying money the treatment that's going to help these people? I don't think so. Hmm. Well, you've given us uh, some stuff to think about that I admit I wasn't thinking about uh, as I sat down to uh, (laughs) do my job today, and uh, I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for talking to me. It was my pleasure. Allison Gomez in Buckeye, suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. We might follow up on some more of these responses to uh, this summer vacation question uh, in the show next week. Uh, And you can still send in your responses if you got them. You can uh, find that form at intheloopshow.net. Kind of a... uh, grab bag, strange brew of a show today when all said and done, wasn't it? And here we're sitting about 42 minutes. Wow. If you're just listening for the first time, it's not usually this long, but uh, it is what it is. Lovely to be a podcast. The short Labor Day week was a little weird, and we're still kind of been in this aftermath of our trip out to the State Fair uh, last week. And it is at the Minnesota State Fair Uh, that we will close things out today with a little bit of music. And here's just the quick context for this. The purpose of the stage I was hosting out at the State Fair was to raise awareness and have a little fun around the idea of Minnesota Public Radio's news website. It's called mprnewsq.org. 
And one of the first things that uh, the bosses said when they asked me to host the stage was, hey, you know, maybe maybe you can write a song. So I did. I wrote the NPRnewsq.org song, and I taught it to the smarts, uh, and we did it for the good folks out at the fair. So sit back, everybody, relax, and be marketed to. I'm Jeff Horwich. Thanks for listening to In The Loop. We're back next week, of course, with all new stuff. Sing along on the chorus if you want to. That'd make our day. So many places for news makes it so hard to choose. Find a place you can trust and not wind up confused. The world that we're in, all the banner and spin makes it so hard to know just where to begin. But you gotta be down with the world all around. What's up in your state? What's going on in your town? I'm here with some hope, maybe throw you a rope. There's so much to know, there's a way you can cope There's so many choices, hundreds of voices, so little room There's a place you can click to, there's only one trick to keep you in tune Here we go, say what's new, what's new, what's new on the queue Hey, what's new, hey, for you on NPR News Sit back in your chair, feel your brain start to grow as you become more aware. State coverage you need, accuracy and speed, nobody does it smarter, and that's guaranteed. Take the news cut quiz, see how smart you is. Hit state of the arts, the best of blogs in the biz. You need to regroup, take a seat on our stoop, we got your fix right here. It's called In The Loop, a site you can bookmark if you want to look smart to all people you know. They'll think you're so swell then, and you can tell them just where to go. Oh, here we go. What's new? What's new? What's new on the queue? What's new? Oh, what's new for you on NPR News Queue? Jimmy. Thank you.
Put it in your diaries. You're here for the first. Calling audible. And maybe the last. We'll see if they drag me off the stage with performance of NPR News Q. The song.